Good morning, everyone, and welcome. It is Super Bowl week. That means it's football's premier time in the world, and no better person to come on to talk about football than the founder and CEO of Garuda Lions FC with my partner in enlightenment, Bartlett, the double B, BlaineBartlett.com. Blaine, uh, I'm here at the Super Bowl in Las Vegas, right. but uh, our friend is in Indonesia celebrating a different kind of football, but with a purpose. <laughs> and uh, we were super excited to have Frank Mahdi on. Thank you for joining us, Frank. Thank you very much, David. Thank you, Blaine. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, I'm a bit confused. Should I should I say football or should I say soccer for you guys? Because like, yeah, well, football. that's what we're gonna do. <laughs> yeah, they're all thinking Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes <laughs> and Brock Purdy. Uh, but speaking of Purdy, that's a pretty nice picture behind you. Uh, Thank you. Some of our kids, yeah. Yeah, that Blaine and I have, uh, as we do a lot of work around the world, and are blessed to work with the Unstoppable Foundation. And yeah. uh, you know, my career in sports is about those kids behind you that I've always said the best way to impact children is to take what they love the most and apply that to uh, attracting the help and education and awareness that they need. And uh, football or soccer in America uh, is the world's most popular sport. Although in America, our football may be more popular around the world. There is no doubt what children love and uh, they love football. How have you utilized the Ruta Lions FC, the football club there in Indonesia, in order to help children with the struggles of being underprivileged uh, in, in in their country? Yeah, well, uh, thanks again. Um, for me, for me, I mean, I'm 53 years old. So when I was a kid, you know, football or soccer. You're a baby. Was- you're a baby compared to Blaine and I. Okay. Um, Yeah, I mean, football for me was always a a game for the, um, let's say, the working class, the underprivileged. You know, if we look at the the greatest names who've contributed to sport, they've all come from those backgrounds. So, in essence, you know, I feel that football's as powerful it is because of those communities and and not just the players, the, the fan support. But now we've come to a situation where these communities cannot afford to participate in football and in communities underprivileged communities like in indonesia um, education is not an option because the education they get from the government is never going to help them compete with the middle class and up who go to the best universities and that's not only in indonesia but outside so then what do they do if you take away sport from these communities and if you look at football you look at fighting boxing martial arts all that kind of stuff that's always been vehicles for them to get themselves out of poverty but now they can't afford boots they can't afford to go to academies they can't afford to watch games on tv so for, for me it's like it's a tragedy and and it doesn't make much sense to me because uh in my only one and a half year experience inside of football i found it very obsessed on short-term profits just get money 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 where's the money where's the money where's the money which is good there's nothing wrong with money and we all want to make money but if you're excluding a a big pool a big community from participating in a game that actually they've contributed contributed so greatly to 
that's that's actually losing money because you're now not getting and developing those players who again who have pro- proven to be the best because they can't access you know the good coaching or the the academies that um, now the middle class kids have you know and and we just had you know um, the England football team the England under 17 World Cup team come visit us you know I mean like like what I've done in a year with no money no support like I've risked so much and I give everything for free but as soon as these kids step off the bus I can see straight away these are middle class kids who've who've had it good and, and that's great but then what about the kids down at the bottom they they can't they can't play anymore you know so so yeah I I looked at Indonesia and I looked at the the potential here you know you've got 278 million 85 million children football is the biggest sport here in Indonesia richest economy in Southeast Asia and yet they've never produced one world-class player and then you've got countries like Uruguay with three and a half million who've won two World Cups two Olympic golds 15 Coppers Americas and their number one business in the country is developing and selling players across the the nation you know the world sorry so I, I just feel that you know Indonesia has so much potential to do something like that but we need to take it to the communities that, again, have, have always produced the best footballers, you know. So I, I could talk for hours about this, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> it makes, it, it tell you this, it makes playing in my job quite easy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you go on for hours, that makes our job easy. Blaine, go ahead. Yeah, no, um, you know, the notion of being on the right path, and, and this is, mm. I mean, where you've landed right now is, is a passion for you and yeah. uh the, the thought of being on the right path people think well if i land on the right path it's just going to be easy because i'm doing what i'm supposed to do but the right path is always accompanied by an uphill climb yes, <laughs> yes. as a matter of fact the right path is always uphill i think yeah. because yeah. you're under you know, undertaking things that you've never undertook before and you're doing things that you've never done before and you're encountering obstacles and barriers you've never encountered before that being said yeah, Indonesia, uh, one of the largest Muslim populations on the planet, um, and I mention that not from a religious standpoint, but from a cultural ethnicity um, uh, mores perspective. It's it's very very conservative. How are you know what are some of the things that you're running into in in the in the sense of being able to you know, facilitate the move that you want to make with these kids? What are you? What kind of pushback do you get, or what kind of welcome do you get from the communities in which you're actually working? Well, in, in like the communities that I'm operating, obviously, I mean, initially they're very surprised and suspicious because they're looking at me, thinking, "How can you give us this for free? You know, where's your money coming from? You mm-hmm. know." And like uh, me and my wife, you know, probably since uh, the beginning of COVID, we haven't worked. We lost our life savings in in COVID, you know, from corruption that went on here. And they and they look like, you know, how how are you doing this? You know, but um, in terms of the football community, it's been kind of strange because like naively initially, because we've always had an NGO um, supporting poor people. And initially, I thought football will be happy to help football, you know. Yeah. But that's not the case. <laughs> that's not the case. Um, they're, they're all like, oh, you're doing God's work. It's fantastic. It's great. Uh, we'll, we'd love to come and do summer camps out with you. 
and then they ask you for fifty thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars and you're like are you listening to what i'm saying here and what i'm trying to achieve you know uh, again it's all about the short term it's not about long-term development you know and so um the football community in general, like here, they can't understand me. They don't understand how I'm doing it. They think I'm crazy. They think it never works. They also tell me like giving stuff for free never works. But and, and I understand that to a certain point. But I've I see the changes I've made in these kids. Mm-hmm. And believe me, the, the poverty is not so much financial. It is financial. But in these communities, it's more mental. It's yeah. more mental. Like I'm having to teach these kids to brush their teeth because their parents don't even bother to teach them to brush their teeth, you know. So so the things that I concentrated from the beginning, not being a, a soccer coach, you know, was the whole mental side, was the mental side and building the brand. That was the thing for me, because I thought if I can get the brand and the message out there, eventually we will get people who are interested, who can actually support us and help us and invest in us financially, because... For me, it's not just a social impact project. It's actually a football and a business project as well. Because for me, it has to it has to be all together for it to work, to actually change lives. And I, I want to take this across Indonesia, across Asia, Africa. You, you need the money. You need to generate the money as well. So, yeah, um, again, a lot, a lot of suspicion. But slowly, slowly, because I've been on TV and newspapers and, like, we've had the... Premier League teams from Asia come visit us, England teams coming. Again, just me contacting. I think David, one of his advices I've heard was just ask for help. And that's what I've been doing. My mum always used to say, if you don't ask, you'll never get. So I just ask and ask and ask and ask, and that's it. You know, most of it's no, but and 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 I'm fine with that. But it's the ones who say, Yeah, I'll do something, and then they never do nothing, you know. You, you are protected, promoted, and loved those moves and absolutely keep the patience and persistence in building that brand. It's never more important than today, especially those kids are involved behind you and around yeah. the world. And it's so funny. I was speaking yesterday at the, here at the Super Bowl at the Living Sport event for kids to allow them to live sport uh, and right. all the character and discipline and habits that are formed. I started my speech out and I said to the kids, I said, hey, who here, right, is growing up poor? And as all the people raised their hand because there were some affluent kids there and middle class kids here. And I I said, I feel sorry for those of you uh, because you can't teach uh, what. And that's why those world's greatest come from those communities that you're helping and those Kids who grow up with nothing end up leading the world, end up changing the world with the perspective of having yeah. nothing and appreciation, acknowledgement, and they learn to ask for more leverage uh, their brands for your brand. I can't wait to see what you do next, Frank. We're here to help. We have oh, other places yeah. to elevate brand, and uh, please uh, reach out. Come on our other shows. We'd love to have you. Keep up the great work. Support everyone, the Garuda Lion fc.com doing great work utilizing sport as a backdrop to change the world thanks frank so much for all you do thanks frank that's wow. awesome i love that the other football during super bowl <laughs> <laughs> that's a zoo there anyway. you are in a, the middle of a zoo 
my tax season. You know, people people are like, how, how come it, you know, I, I try my best, as you know, to be known for getting back to people immediately. And I get people, you know, even in my family, is everything okay? It's been three hours. And I was like, I'm uh, buried in blessings uh, here at the Super Bowl. Uh, but it's time uh, for our next friend to come on. Julie Cantor is waiting there from the big city in Manhattan, co-authors uh, with Felice Eckelman of Thrive with a Hybrid Workplace. Uh, a very often thought about topic is how are we evolving with the hybrid workplace, step-by-step -step guidance from the expert thrivewithhybridworkplace.com. Julie, welcome to Office Hours. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, my apologies. Uh, Fleece got called into a case, so uh, I'm here speaking for the both of us. <laughs> well, I just have to tell you, one lawyer is enough. And uh, <laughs> even though I'm a recovering lawyer, we, we don't need to in here. So we'd rather have the psychologist here, <laughs> the executive coach, advisor, uh, with the big heart in the open mind it's helping so many people make more money and enjoy the activity that they, they get paid for now i know there's several legal guidelines that we have to work within and it would have been nice to have felice to explain those but i'm more interested in the word thrive yeah uh, i have a five to thrive system i believe in order to thrive we have to have a community and that can be a working community of people that want to help each other and know people that can help each other. And that's how people buy from us and sell for us for a lifetime. Uh, what are some of the things today that we didn't understand when the new acceptance of hybrid working uh, took place? What, what are some of the new issues that we should be looking at to create, you know, this community within our economic organizations? I, I mean, I, David, you said it really well. I mean, one of the third or fourth words you said after in terms of thrive is connecting. Um, and um, my word for it in our world is building interpersonal glue. And what I've seen happen. So, so I don't have to sell you about the need to connect, right? <laughs> Already there. Yeah. Um, but what happened with hybrid and we went into lockdown is this ability to connect really we just lost all those abilities right i i contend the great resignation happened because i wasn't connected if i didn't really like you i if you were my boss i could send you a i didn't even have to look at you i'd send you a two-word text that said i quit and so now organizations we all are figuring out how do we build these connections that are so crucial is more and more data coming out about the need to connect that yes, we can, um, you know, there's, there's lots of office project products in terms of working asynchronously, but the need to come together is really challenging. And so the, one of the words we use throughout the book is this concept of intentionality. The connection is just, I'm just not bumping into you in the hall anymore. I can't assume that. Um, and so leaders, organizations, individuals need to be intentional to build these connections. And so what are some of the challenges that people face? Um, one is coming up with a system, if you will, of how we're going to get together. It's just, I, um, one of the things in, you know, we saw in the policies of this getting people together. It's a big piece about hybrid, like how, when, how, and we're getting people into the office. And initially the, the, mandates came in policies were three days a week and we had these 
you know, arguments. Is it two days? Is it three days? And I have come to say that a policy of three days a week is just silly. Because if the three of us work together and David, you're there on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and Blaine, you're there Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and I'm there Wednesday, I'm never going to see some, you know, and, and I don't know when you're coming in, so it doesn't really matter. And so what's happened is that leaders, organizations need to think about how and when come in. And if you're going to get me out of my pajamas and needing to get dressed up, then there's got to be a reason. And so what does it look like to identify, take the time to think about what's our culture? How much do we need to come together? What are the reasons? And start talking about these things. Um, that's the first start step. One of the second pieces is how we communicate. Um, there are so many different platforms, right? If we're going to thrive, we need to communicate. And I was with a client yesterday and we were doing an offsite and some team building and the brace. One of the guys said to one of the others, it's like, you didn't respond to my email. And the other guy said, I don't read email. I sit on Slack. So, it's, so like there was, they were never going to come together. And so that's the kind of thing, again, what can they do to thrive? Teams have to come together. I've come calling it things like a communication charter. We didn't used to have to do this, right? We just, I could walk by your desk, say, Hey, what's up? Um, come up with a communication charter about what kinds of things to email for, what kinds of things do you Slack for? There are so many different ways to connect. The difference now is we need to think about and plan how we're going to connect. Yeah. The the whole connection, when I first started working in a hybrid environment, it was back in the mid-1990s with Nokia, when I was actually, you know, I, I'd led a major chunk of their global leadership development process. And we were working with teams from all over the country, you know, not just the country, the world. Uh, some of it developed, some of it not developed in terms of the world. So there was a lot of invention going on. Yeah, kind of how do we, you know, we didn't have some of the platforms that we've got today. The idea of thriving, you know, because what we were doing was organized around, I mean, literally surviving. How do we as a remote team survive, yeah, as we put things together? And th there's a migration in my experience that you know, moves a team, particularly one that has been you know, very disrupted. And you know, we've got you know, unfamiliar territory in front of us right now. We've got to learn how to survive before we can move to thrive. And the idea of surviving has some very intentional components to it. We, I need to take care of this. I need to take care of that. In, in your work, yeah, uh, Julie, you know, with, with, you know, with, with the stuff that both you and uh, Felice have done, you know, you got the psychological background. What, what are the survival foundations that need to be in place to facilitate eventual thriving? Now, you talked about intentionality, but can you identify a couple of you know, key components here that seem to be generalized around every hybrid team? Yeah, I mean, so it starts with this, this thing about um, connection is clearly one. I talk in the book about the seven C's. And so what are some of them? One is change. you got to understand that a basic is acknowledging that we're in a change. The old rules don't apply anymore. Yep. You need to start thinking about them. What is collaboration? How are we going to collaborate unless we figure out the ways and again, speak about it. I gave it an example in terms of just the Slack and the and the 
um, email, but think about what are the different ways that we are going to collaborate and different, that means different things to different organizations. If this was just an IT department, we may need to get together for a hackathon and depending on what we're doing, otherwise we can be happily in our front of our computers. If you're in a creative environment and one of my clients builds the tallest buildings in the world, they need to be in the office five days a week. You know, they're not renovating my kitchen or your kitchen. And so in order for them to survive, they have to be together. Um, I also talk about compassion. Um, it's it's not a, it's not a nice. It's not a like maybe it's <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's you need compassion if you're going to survive in terms of us understanding and giving grace to each other and pulling together. These things are so fundamental um, the other thing I see I talk about is coaching, right? A real basic in terms of this is about development. And one of the, I think a large thing that I, a commonality that I see with my clients in terms of this surviving is coming out how to develop people, especially if they're onboarding them. Mm-hmm. So that in your leadership development, when you have, people don't think about it. If you're not in front of me, I don't think about the fact that I have to bring you along Um, Some of these things are just really essential before you're going to even get to thriving, just to get to on the same playing field and connecting. You know, Julie, uh, my mentor there, Blaine Bartlett, talks about this coordinated collaborative movement, uh, which you have discussed. And I think there needs to be why I love this book and encourage everyone who's experiencing on any side of the hybrid workplace experience to find a step-by-step uh, procedure. Because you know the two things that are really lacking in America, and we're only saved by technology in my experience, that if we didn't have exp- like just incredible technology, America would suffer because we are not engaged and we are not productive. We are just blessed with such powerful technology that you know, when I was a young executive in my 20s, that there was stuff that took me a month to do that takes less than a minute. And <laughs> we're cheating our country and our world because we are not engaged and we are not productive because we don't have a step-by-step procedure or the coordinated collaborative movement. And that's why this book, Thrive with a Hybrid Workplace, is so important. I suggest everyone go to Thrive with a hybrid workplace, no matter what side of that experience you're on. If you want to be more engaged, more productive, I promise you three things will happen. You will make more money, you will help more people, and you will have more fun. You tell Felice, we didn't miss her. We had one lawyer, that's enough. And we will see her in New York. We'd rather see her at a dinner, and I'll give her a big hug. But all we needed was Julie Cantor to provide us the awareness and enlightenment on how to have fun in the workplace. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. Thank you, Julie. Great Take book. care. Great book. Great job. Wow. I uh, love that. Um, yeah. I love how I can take all the lessons I've learned from you, Blaine. And as we have some of the greatest guests in the world coming on, uh, you know, it's an applied knowledge, you know, kind of like Einstein applied mathematics to a theoretical yeah. physics that changed the world. I applied Blaine Bartlett to my own theories, uh, which hopefully will help change the world as well. Uh, well, I lied to everyone, and I did it on purpose. I apologize. Um, but 
we're going to bring on a lawyer. So now we're going to have to suffer. <laughs> there you go. Two lawyers. Uh, but you're you're stacking the deck more. against me here. Exactly. What, 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 he's much more than a lawyer, although he's one of the leading lawyers in Nashville, Tennessee. He's an extraordinary entrepreneur, an executive producer, and investor himself. Lynn Derrickson, how are you? And welcome to Office Hours. I'm doing great, Dave. Thanks for having me. Um, this is uh, very exciting. I've always wanted to be on the show, so really appreciate you having me. Yeah. Well, we, we appreciate it. Now, super excited because I get so many questions about sports agency and entertainment, and I've utilized without ever practicing, even though that's the bar like mommy wanted me to, uh, I've utilized the skills, the knowledge, and desire that I learned in law school. And I think I went to one of the best schools in the world, the most balanced one that I've seen, and it was probably one of the best decisions next to marrying my wife. Uh, that I had made in my life, uh, going to Tulane Law School. And yet I've never practiced law, but I've used the skills, the knowledge, and desire almost every day, not just to save money on my legal bills for all those lawyers that don't have character or morals, but more importantly, uh, to apply what I learned in law school, including my sales system, is based off of voir dire uh, and cross-examination, a variety of things. What skills... What knowledge have you utilized to be, you know, not only a terrific lawyer, which I'm not, but an entrepreneur, an executive producer, an investor? Um, you know, I think in law school, you um, obviously people that have a tendency to go to law school have a sort of a natural um, analytical brain, I think. But um, I think in law school, you definitely hone those skills, um, you know, learning to analyze uh, situations and opportunities and, uh, you know, evaluating the potential risk, etc. So I think that's definitely a skill that I uh, honed in law school that I've definitely applied to not only, you know, law practice, obviously, but other opportunities. Uh, with executive producing and, and, you know, other investments and stuff. So I'd say, uh, you know, honing in on those analytical skills for sure. Yeah. You've got a fairly wide uh, portfolio in terms of, you know, where you actually focus on, but you know, one that I'm interested in is uh, your work in transition. You know, when somebody's actually completing their, their, their career, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, either in sports or entertainment. What are the unique challenges that you find, Landon, in, in actually positioning them uh, in, you know, in, in many cases, it's into a broadcasting position or something like that, where they're taking their, their innate knowledge that they've developed usually since childhood up through their professional career. What, what, what are some of the unique challenges that come into play there outside of negotiating the contract? Yeah, I think, um, like, for example, a sports figure transitioning over to broadcasting, mm -hmm. um, you know, they may uh, they may not be used to being in front of uh, the camera or the microphone as much. And so um, while they have a lot of knowledge about the sport or the industry itself, uh, you know, getting them with someone that can help them 
uh, hone their skills to now become a sportscaster or, uh, you know, media training and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's, that's maybe, you know, uh, one of the unique challenges that you have there. Um, and usually, you know, if you've got somebody that's very a high performer in one area, they're going to apply those, what they've learned there to become a high performer in another area. That's kind of my experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Landon, I'm glad I got out of the agency business and the lawyer business uh, because I was, uh, you know, with one of the greatest negotiators of all time. He wrote a book on negotiation and I have been paid uh, probably far too much to teach people how to negotiate. But I'm glad I'm out of the game because you are one of the most substantial experienced negotiators for endorsements and agreements for athletes and entertainers who have participated and transitioned or expanded into other areas uh, in that idea of negotiation. Why or how have you been so successful? Because I know your background and I know your personality. You don't have that, uh, and excuse me, but I forget the author's name. That's the key negotiator for hostages. And it, he has a, a great perspective, but I think it's a dangerous one because there's certain situations where you need to be scarce in negotiation. And you know, when we're negotiating in a hostage situation, that is a very <clears throat> conflictual, scarce situation of exigency. But in the majority of negotiations, we have to implement a mindset that is much more abundant. And the greatest negotiators like yourself that I know in sports and entertainment actually are the antithesis of what a hostage negotiator does they actually are most abundant people with the mindset, the heart set, the handset to let everybody win. What is your philosophy in negotiation that has made you so successful? Well, I try to keep in mind that uh, each side is going to need to have have their own wins in every negotiation. Everybody's got to have uh, something out of the deal. It can't be so one-sided that the other side just, you know, at the end of the day, they're not getting anything out of it. So um, I feel like for me, um, in every negotiation, I try to keep in mind uh, and try to find, um, I know obviously where where my client wants to land, and I try to find, um, you know, if we're having a, a an area where we're button heads, try to figure out a way that um a unique way or a creative way where both sides can can have what they want um and you know if what in my experience most of the time if the other side feels like you're trying to uh you know help them sort of win as well you you end up uh getting to yes uh, mm-hmm. quicker Obviously, we have to, as lawyers, we have to advocate for our own client's interests above all. Um, and um, but part of the, I think, part of the um, interest of the client is also having a partner on the other side that's a, that's excited to pursue that venture uh, after the deal is signed. Yeah. So, yeah. And one thing I've learned about you, Landon, is a. Uh, Hundred percent of nothing is nothing. So if you're a key negotiator, right. you can create an illusion right. that everybody's winning, but 
uh, advocate for your client in their best interest and get the deal done, uh, yeah. that's what's in the best interest of all and continues to how people live by adding value in a value-add world. That's what Landon Derrickson does. If you're interested, he's releasing a new uh, documentary as well in 2024. He is all over the place and an entrepreneur and investor, one of the best businesses I know in the sports and entertainment space. Check him out in Nashville, Tennessee. I have. He also provided one of the greatest evenings uh, for my wife and I for charity uh, at the Standard Club in Nashville, Tennessee. So I want to publicly thank you. It is uh, one of the time I'm at the Super Bowl, <clears throat> and I wish I could go back to the Standard with Landon. Yeah. That's how much fun I had. So yeah, thank you for everything you do. Please come on Blaine's uh, show as well, uh, and we have other places to put you. Uh, if you're looking for the best, that's Lance Erickson. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Rick. Thank you, Landon. Pleasure to meet you. Pleasure to meet you. Take care. Great job. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen. It is hey. time to get to uh, – we got a busy, uh, an active day. You know where I'm off to, Blaine? I'm going to go meet a kid in my mind uh, who I've known forever in the sports world. And, you know, when you've been involved in something for 35 years, which you and I have a blessing – of being involved certain for 35 years or more, <clears throat> you get to see these kids. And I spoke to these kids yesterday and I saw the same thing in these 18 to 22 year olds yesterday. I'm going to meet Al Guido and Al Guido is the president of the San Francisco 49ers yeah. who I knew in his twenties. And nothing makes my heart sing. I know the older you get, the better you were and the better they think you were. But there's nothing that makes my heart sing more than seeing a, a young man turn into a leader of one yep. of the greatest organizations in sports of all time. And I'm going to be blessed to get his perspective in uh, sports today. We're going to be leaving very soon. Um, and I just think about all the people. I hope you take as much of a joy. I, I hate to age you, but our age difference is the same as me and Al Guido. Uh, and I hope you take as much joy in the successes of the people that you've empowered over all these years as absolutely because way it's way better to see them succeed than, than for our own achievements. Uh, it's exponential in the joy uh, of seeing it. And I want to congratulate Al Guido uh, for being the president of the 49ers and everything that he's doing for his community through sports as a backdrop to create social change. And the Niners are known for that. And uh, what a kind leader he is. We should put him in our next Compassionate Capitalist book because that's what he is. Lane, what's your takeaway of the day? I love where you're going with that thread. It's the uplift that happens when you're actually paying attention. Uh, I mean, if we take it all the way back to you know, a, a youth football team, in Indonesia and just being able to raise that and, and do it with you know, no support initially uh, to, to, to just begin to live that you know, my life makes a difference and I'm going to make it as a consequence of my life making a difference. I'm going to make a difference with somebody else. I think Felicity uh, talked about that as well. Uh, uh, not Felice. Felice uh, I a question. You said Felicity um, is Felice. Felice. Is that right? Felice. Okay, yeah, good. I Felice. thought I had the name wrong for all the time. I was like, shit. Yeah, no, it was Felice. It was Felice. 
Yeah. 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 Both of them. And, and Landon also talked about this, uh, just, you know, that, that whole transition piece. So, you know, leaving people with the experience of increase, you know, finding a way to do that. You know, how do I actually help somebody be more of who they are? Every one of our guests in some way, shape or form have talked about that. And yeah, even, you know, you mentioned Chris Voss, not by name, but yeah, the hostage negotiator. Um, That's, you know, yeah, you get to a point where people feel like they can win. And if yeah, if it's a hostage situation, that's one thing. But if it's in a, you know, another environment, these kids, you know, in, you know <laughs> in Indonesia, they feel like they can win now as opposed to being beaten down. So my takeaway has to do with leaving people with the experience of increase. Yeah, it's a blessing to know who you can help and who can help you to make any possibility a probability and increasing the level of hope. Hope being something that incorporates wisdom and faith in a trajectory that aggregates, accelerates, compounds towards a divine direction of your better self. My takeaway is actually related to the coordinated collaborative movement, an objective that you've instilled in me. And to that measure, I love the idea of a communication chart, not just a business. Yeah, that was cool. But, you know, grandparents to grandkids. You know, I know my mom had a huge disconnect with my daughters and you know my whole family because my mom wanted my kids to call her and my kids don't call anyone, right? They Snapchat or DM or whatever. Mm-hmm. And until I could create a communication charter between my mom and my children, uh, there was a disconnect of a very essential relationship that has impacted and influenced my life. Not only my mom and my relationship, but my grandparents and my relationship because we didn't need a communication charter. Uh, But I will suggest it's a huge takeaway uh, that Felice gave me aligned with coordinated collaborative movement that Blaine teaches, which is a necessity in this connection uh, of creating a unified, abundant, infinite system. People who want to help each other and know people that help each other, that feed each other, that are highly relative to other and have an association that is coordinated and collaborated through a communications charter. So I want to thank Blaine Bartlett for that and the takeaway of the day. BlaineBartlett.com, if you haven't noticed, utmost respect and gratitude for Blaine Bartlett because he has changed my life. And I hope any achievements that he sees uh, that he takes credit for, and I am (laughs) blessed to have him and his wife, Cynthia Kersey. Please support the Unstoppable Foundation. Go to theunstoppablefoundation.org. We rock it and roll in to help and in, in support and empower the world uh, with unbelievable foundational principles, education and financial literacy and health and food and all the underlying and especially water things that make our lives better around the world. Blaine Bartlett, you make the world better. I look forward to every Thursday. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, buddy. Have a great day and enjoy your time at the at, at the big party. I will. Thank you so much. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Blaine Bartlett, BlaineBartlett.com. All right, we got a rock and roll. Al Guido's waiting for me. I'm super excited to meet with him. Come and join us. We were with Dr. Oz yesterday, Sean Merriman. We were with the incredible, unbelievable Donovan McNabb, who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. We need the second black quarterback in the Hall of Fame. Why not vote Donovan McNabb in, please? If you want to know where I'm going to be, we're going to be doing a meetup today. At 5 p.m. at my favorite restaurant, the In-N-Out Burger. That's right, right here in Las Vegas. Go ahead and email me, David, at themelcher.com. Go ahead and check in with our team. Find out, join our text community so you're alerted 
where we are going to be here in Las Vegas. If you're at the Super Bowl, swing up before the Super Bowl party, get a burger, come and join us with a little Ask Me Anything, a meetup in person, 949-298-205 or David at dmelter.com. Come and meet up today at 5 p.m. in Las Vegas at the In-N-Out Burger. We'd love to see you. Now, that's what it's all about. What else is it about? It's about being more interested than interesting, about being kind to yourself and doing good deeds. See you tomorrow at training or at meetup today. We are blessed. Have a great day.